We're going to talk today about a house of merchandise. A house of merchandise, the cleansing of the temple, and we are in John chapter 2. But I was thinking about this, and I want you to open up in your Bibles just for a minute or two there, as we are, we are walking with Jesus the last eight weeks. Well, in fact, you should say that you've been walking with Jesus all your life. Are you? Amen. We need to walk with Jesus every day. But here, as we study the Word, we're walking with Jesus, and as we're walking with Jesus, we learn more about Him. Do you want to know Him? Just walk with Him. See what He's done. Listen to Him. So I want you this morning to go with me to Psalm 17. Psalm chapter 17. And look at verse... Verse 3, Psalm chapter 17, verse 3. If you are there, say Amen. It says there in Psalm 17, verse 3, You have tasted my heart. You see, that is what God does. He tastes your heart. Because the Bible says that everything comes out of the heart, isn't it? Every intent of man comes from the heart. Now the word says that He have tasted my heart. You have visited me in the night. You have tried me and have found nothing. Oh, how wonderful it is that when He tried you, that He find nothing there. No sin. No iniquity. And now He continues on, He says, I have purpose that my mouth shall not transgress. Concerning the words of men, by the word of your lips, I have kept away from the path of the destroyer. Now listen to this. This is the verse. Uphold my steps in your paths. Uphold my steps in your paths. We want to walk with Jesus. If you want to uphold your steps, listen to me young people. If you want to uphold your steps, follow the footsteps of Jesus. No philosophies, no worldly idolaties, nothing like that. Follow Jesus. And he says it further there, that my footsteps may not slip. That my footsteps may not... There's another verse that just jumps up in my mind. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Remember the psalmist say here, Uphold my steps in your path, that my footsteps may not slip. Listen to what Peter says here. 1 Peter chapter 2. In this church you need to keep your Bible ready because we like to go through and page through the Bible. Amen? Now look at verse 21. 1 Peter chapter 2, 21. He says, For this, uh, for to this you were called. To what? To what, Peter? Because Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example. You know what we're doing? We're following Jesus and we follow His example. It says it right there. That you should follow His steps. Don't you think that's neat? One more, let's turn to 1 Timothy. You know, the Bible is so rich, we can just read the scripture this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Look at verse 11. You say, what is the steps that I need to take now? He says, 
we've got Jesus as an example to follow in his steps. What is those steps, you may ask? 1 Timothy chapter 6. Now look at verse 11. He says, But you, O man of God, but you, O woman of God, but you, O child of God, what about you? Look, look what he says. Flee these things and pursue. That word pursue in the New King James Version means walk after, follow Jesus. Pursue what? Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Now everybody look at me. All those things you find in who? In Jesus. So I just want to follow Jesus. Because I know that if I'm going to follow Jesus, He will help me to keep my foot and my path straight. To set every foot where He wants it to go. Yes? So what have we learned over the last few weeks about Jesus? In John chapter 1, we found all those titles of Jesus. Son of God. Son of Man. You remember Son of Man, which means He's the link between heaven and earth. Don't you want to follow somebody who's that link? Don't you want to follow somebody who can take you to heaven? Don't follow me. I'm not the link between heaven and earth. I'm just pointing you to the one who can and who is that link. He says that the angels will come descending and ascending upon the Son of Man. And we saw his omnipresence. When he turned to Nathaniel and he said, Nathaniel, I know you when you were sitting under the fig tree. You remember that? He's omnipresent. And then we saw last week his omnipotence, how powerful he was, turning the water into wine. And today, we're going to follow him through John chapter 2, and we're going to go into verse 13. Now, let's continue. John chapter 2, verse 13. And as I'm going through, as you know, I'll stop often to give you some commentary. He says in John chapter 2, verse 12, After this, he went down to Capernaum. Capernaum, that affluent city. We will see now that Capernaum becomes his base. He lived in Nazareth and he moved to Capernaum. And there's things that we need to know about Capernaum. He's going to go from Capernaum and he's going to go out and do his ministry in all of the areas, but he returns back to Capernaum. And I want you to quickly turn with me to Matthew chapter 4 in your Bible again. Matthew chapter 4. Because I think there's something important that we need to, once we see that name, realize. In Matthew chapter 4 verse 13, he says, in verse 12, Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and he dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. Now when he talks about Capernaum, I want you to think, Turn with me to Matthew chapter 11, verse 23. Just a few pages on. So Jesus leaves from Cana. He just did the miracle. He goes to Capernaum. We know now that he settles himself there. Look now at Matthew 11, verse 20. He says, Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works 
had been done because they did not repent. I just want to stop here for a minute and make you think something. It says there in the Word that he started rebuking the cities. Now, when he says he rebuked the cities, he's not talking about the buildings. He's not talking about the trees in the cities or the houses or the streams or so on. No. When he talks about this now, he talks about the people who's living in those cities. Because they make up the character. I want you to see this now, that he starts rebuking the cities. Why? Because of the mighty works that has been done in them. And we need to learn something here this morning. Those people living there saw the mighty works of Jesus Christ. And the reason he did those mighty works in those cities was for one reason only, and that is to bring the people to repentance. Nothing else. We're going to see as we're going to go through this temple now, a lot of other things happened, but the mighty works, dear friends, is for one reason only, and that is to bring people to repentance. We see it right there. And the people living in Capernaum saw all of these mighty works. You might say, yes, Lord, rebuke them. Because if Jesus was to be in our day here in Melbourne, oh, surely we would have followed Him and repented, but not so. Because, friends, He is here. Although you can't see Him physically, He's here. And there's a rebuke now against these cities because they saw the mighty works of Jesus. You say, but we don't see the mighty works of Jesus, and I want to tell you, you are wrong. We see the fact that we're in a church is a miracle from Jesus. Listen, to me, the biggest sign or miracle you can see these days is not somebody who's been risen from the dead. No, it is when the Spirit of God comes and He dwells in a man and you are saved by His grace. So you and I are seeing the mighty works of Jesus. And you know what? If you do not come to repentance by these mighty works which you see, you could be sitting in church and see the mighty works of Jesus, and still do not come to repentance, then the Word of God is so direct this morning, there cometh a rebuke upon the people. Can you see that? He enters now into Capernaum. What a blessing for Jesus to enter into the city. Is He in your house? And if He is, the reason He's in your house is because He wants to see repentance. Look a little bit further down there. In verse 23, he comes now to Capernaum. This is Matthew eleven twenty-three. He says, And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, listen to this, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Come on, friends, the Bible can't just be a book of words we read. We need to apply it to our lives. He says it right there. He says, look, all of these mighty works. Sodom will be better off. Why? Because Sodom didn't see these mighty works. But they did. There is no excuse. It's just a little bit of a warning before we continue further on. Now let's read further in John chapter 2. After this he went down to Capernaum, he his mother, 
his brothers and his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. You see, it was a requirement for Jewish men to go up to the temple at least three times a year. It is written in Deuteronomy chapter 16, 16, if you want to write it down. Because in Deuteronomy 16, 16, it says, Three times in a year shall all thy males appear before the Lord thy God in the place which shall be of his choice. At this point in time, when Jesus was walking there, it was the temple, it was in Jerusalem. So it doesn't matter where you lived in, in the world, if you're a male Jewish man, you had to go up to the temple. Three times a year. There were three feasts there. The first one was the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, that is Passover. Then it was the Feast of the Weeks, which is Pentecost. Now in the Old Testament it wasn't Pentecost, but in the New Testament that feast became the Feast of Pentecost. And they had to go up to Jerusalem to this feast. And then the third one was the Feast of Tabernacles. Now listen to this, Deuteronomy 16.16 And they shall not appear before the Lord empty. I want you to make a mental note of that because you will understand the cleansing of the temple when you see these words in the Old Testament. So the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. You've heard that so many times, haven't you? So here is something concealed in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 16, 16. He says, when you come to this temple three times a year, you shall not appear before the Lord empty. You shall bring something to the Lord. Friend, you've come here on a Sunday. What have you brought to the Lord this morning? And I'm not after your money. Don't worry. What have you brought to the Lord this morning to the house of the Lord? You say, oh, am I supposed to bring something? Well, I just want to say, the biggest thing that you needed to bring to the church today is the worship of God. Yes? Not just sit there in a chair and say, you know, I'm going to get a download now from the preacher. No, you need to bring worship to the church. This is the ecclesia, this is the koinonia, this is the fellowship. I want you to walk in here with a smile, but not a plastic smile, not a, mm, mm, this pain, you know, I've got pain on my tummy smile. I want you to come in here with the joy of the Lord, hallelujah, because that is what you bring to the Lord. These men had to bring something and not come in empty-handed. What are you bringing? Oh, the church should look after me. No way, where is that written? Give me the verse. No, no, you come to the house of the Lord to, to worship and to minister. Not only to listen to this. Now, it says that he went, Jesus went to the Passover. And this was in Jerusalem. So you see, he followed the law. He, did, he wasn't a lawbreaker. Now let's continue on. He says in verse 14, And he found in the temple those who sold oxen, sheep and doves, and the money changers doing business. And when he had made whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and poured over the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold the doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. That is our topic today, a house of merchandise. Then the disciples remember that is written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. So the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show to us since you do these things? Come on, what sign is there? 
And Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build the temple, and you will raise it up in three days? Come on. Be realistic. Honestly? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Until so far, the, pre- the, pre- uh, the reading of his public word. You see, we have here in this passage a true sense of Jesus clashing with religion. This is Jesus facing off religion, tradition in this passage. And you see, religion is that beast of dull routine. And you're right, I'm calling it a beast. Because that is what it is. Religion is this beast who is destroying and trying to destroy the worship of God. And you know how it comes in? Through dull routine. We're doing the same thing over and over and over again. And look, I can throw names in here of institutions and denominations who are caught up by this dull routine, which is called religion. But here is the warning to you and me and a small church like us and an independent church like us. Let us not get into the trap of falling for a dull routine. Let me explain. You came in this morning and if you've been coming here for the last few weeks and months, you know that we start with singing a few songs. Then I say, let's all pray. Then I say, let's have a testimony. Then I normally preach. And you know that we also do the communion table. So, when you come in here, you've got in your mind a set thought of the order of the church, yes? But what if next week you walk in here and as we are getting ready for the first song, I say, look, let's cut the music. We are now going to pray for an half an hour before I preach. How are you going to feel? Oh, wait a minute, but that's not our routine. Oh, what? That, that's not how we do things. Well, guess what? Jesus ain't following your routine. He follows His own routine. You see, the Spirit of God, the Bible says, is like the wind. He blows wherever He wants to blow. Now, I believe we need to preach the Word, yes? But watch out for this. You see, this is this beast of religion that's flowing over. And I'm telling you now, dear friends, from where I'm standing and from where I'm seeing the world right now, there is a huge religion who's sitting right over the church right now. And the thing is, the fact of the matter is, it is worldly-minded men who presides over this. Worldly-minded men. Hence, the spirit of the world has entered into the church. We are going to do business now for God. Have you heard that? Church ain't a church anymore. It's a business. And from next week, I don't want you to call me pastor. I want you to call me CEO or director. 
You see, it is worldly-minded men. And we will see in our passage, just hang on there, we're going to go through this passage verse by verse, and you will see these things apply. But not only in Jesus' day, it applies today. And we, we, you and I, not me, myself, you, as people who attend this church, need to be aware of this. You see, we need to keep each other to the Word. You need to keep me to the Word, and I need to keep you to the Word. It's worldly-minded men that presides over this beast of religion. And their main desire is to exercise authority. Or the man who stands in front has got the authority. Or the man who runs this thing is the final word. There's only one authority in this church and his name is Jesus Christ. The Bible says he's the head and I'm only but a servant of him. And so are you. You see, he says that he gave gifts to all men. You've got a gift. It's not only I or... No, no. But these people, you see, they are worldly-minded and they want to have the authority. Self-proclaimed apostles. Self-proclaimed prophets. The only reason those two officers want to do today is to exercise authority. Oh, you can't hear from God, but I will hear on your behalf. No, no, no. His name is Jesus Christ and He's in heaven already. When He intercedes for you and for me. We need to be clear about this. Oh, I'm a prophet, a modern day prophet. No, no, no. The Bible says it ended with Jesus. Yes. John was in the spirit. We saw that last week and the week before. John was in the spirit of Elijah. These men, and you know the only, the final aim for them is to get rich. Because that is what religion does. It makes you rich. Now, I've just explained to you what we've read in the passage. So, let's look at verse 13. He says, Now the Passover of the Jews, you see that? The Passover of the Jews. Whose Passover is it? The Jews. It says it right there. He says the Passover of the Jews was at hand. But you know what? I find it strange when I do a little bit of study and I go back into the Old Testament. It ain't the Passover of the Jews. It started off as the Lord's Passover. Let's look at Exodus chapter 12 verse 11. He says, And thus shall ye eat, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand. This was in Egypt, when it was instituted. And ye shall eat it in haste. And what is it called? It is the Lord's Passover. You see that? So if it belongs to the Lord, who makes the rules of the Passover? Come on, you've got it. The Lord, yes? If it's the Jews' Passover, who makes the rules of the Passover? Come on, it's not so difficult, the Jews. And here we go on, Leviticus chapter 23 verse 5. And the fourteenth day of the first month at even is what? The Lord's Passover. Numbers 28.16 And in the fourteenth day of the first month it is the Passover of the Lord. So He instituted it. And He made the rules if it belongs to Him. But if it belongs to man, then man makes the rules. And that is called religion and tradition. 
That is why I want to warn you this morning. Listen through my voice, the voice of God, when He warns you, do not fall for man's law. Look, Paul wrote a whole letter to the church called Galatians about this. He says, watch out for those people who want to drag you under the law. He says, it is not grace plus works, it is grace alone. Now, if you apply any other works to this, it becomes a tradition that man will follow. And we need to be very careful of You see, the thing is, dear friends, the Passover of the Lord has become the Passover of the Jews. And the question that we need to ask is, how did this happen? How did it happen that from the Old Testament, when it was the Lord's Passover, now became the Passover of the Jew? How? It is with the introduction of tradition and law. That's how it happens. Now let's continue on. He says, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And in verse 14 he says, And he found, and I'll show you now how tradition came in. He found in the temple those who sold oxen, sheep, doves, and the money changers doing business. So Jesus appears and these people were selling things. This was not new. Selling at the Passover or at these feasts. So, if you understand how it worked in the Old Testament, you had to give a tenth to the Lord. So, if you were living a far distance away from Jerusalem, and you had to go there, you need to take an animal with you. For a sacrifice, there were three things there. It was an ox, which was offered as a devotion to God, as a service to God. The sheep was offered as a burnt offering. We know in the Old Testament explains all about that, but that was a sacrificial uh, offering which you did to submit to God and the, the dove was used as a purification. So when people went there, they allowed them to take their animal and sell it off for money where they were in their own town. And they can take that money and go into Jerusalem and there will be people selling oxen and sheep and doves there, and you take that money and you buy a sheep. So you sell a sheep, you come in and you buy a sheep, now you can take the sheep to be offered. So this was allowed. It happened. Year after year, you had these people sitting outside the temple, and they were selling oxen, they were selling sheep, and they were selling doves. So it's not a new thing. Now let me show to you, how the temple looked. And you will understand why this infuriated our Lord. Within the temple there were three courts. The first court was the court of the priests. And only the priests offered in that place. And the second one, with a wall of perdition, was the court of the Israelites or of the Jews. And the third court was the court of the Gentiles. Now this court of the Gentiles had a specific reason for that. First of all, it was the closest a Gentile could get to the Holy of Holies. So the Gentiles, you and me, you and me, if we were not Jews, we were allowed to come into this part here. And when we're in this part, we are the closest that we can be to the Holy of Holies. The Lord allowed this. It is written in the Bible, in the Old Testament, you can go and study that. 
Secondly, when you come into this place, the reason why a Gentile could go in there is to be attracted to God and to the Jews and the worship of Jehovah. This is how you as a, as a Gentile could come close to Him. And you know what normally would happen there? There would be temple worship going on and that sounds will spill out into this bigger courtyard and it will be songs of praise. I just want to read to you one. Psalm 69. Now imagine yourself as a Gentile walking into this court of the Gentiles and there's worship going on in the temple. There's a joyful noise going on. And you walk in there. You don't know the God of the Israelites or the Jews. But you go in there. Something attracts you and pulls you in. And you hear this, this psalm. Listen to it. It's a doxology psalm. It means it's a psalm of worship. It says, God be merciful to us and bless us. I want you to be here this, this morning there. Can you hear the Jews from the inner court singing that out to the Lord when they sing out, Oh God, be merciful to us and bless us and cause His face to shine upon us. Selah. It means think about it. A pause. How good is God? And that noises will come out into the outer court. And then he says that your way may be known on the earth. Your salvation among all nations. Again, it's in the outer court that you can hear this now as a Gentile. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the people praise you. Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations on earth. Shalah, think about that. Pause. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Then the earth shall yield to increase. O God, our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Hallelujah. God shall bless us. Can you hear the refrain? And all the ends of the earth shall fear him. So Gentiles come into this area here, this courtyard. And they see how the Jews worship their God. And you are attracted to that. And it pulls you in. And you want to know more about the God of the Jews. Isn't that what church is supposed to be today? Isn't this where we are today, where we have to open up our doors and say, come in. Doesn't matter what a big sinner you are, come in. Listen, I want you to go out into the byways and the wideways and invite them all in. I want the homosexual to come and sit here so that I can preach the gospel to him. I want him to hear, oh God, how great you are. I want the murderer to walk in here. I want the Muslim to walk in here. Bring them all in. The gates were open for them in the court of Gentiles. They didn't sit there and say, oh, wait a minute, let's just check your police record. Grace is open, friends. Mercy is there to behold. And this is the courtyard right here. The doors are open. The flags are up. You see, this is what it was meant to be. Jesus comes into that place 
And what he expects to see and what he expects to find is a noise of worship coming from the inner courts and that place a buzzing with the joy of the Lord. But he says it right there and he found in the temple, in the temple, those who sold. So it means that the people who were supposed to sell the stuff around the temple has moved into the temple. Can you see that now? A place that was supposed to be for the worship of God has become a merchant house. The worship of God, the refrains of God is great. God is great. It's now been silenced by the blaring of sheep, by the auction, like by the sound of money, money, money. Friends, let me tell you this this morning. It is the same today. Churches have been overtaken by oxen sellers by sheep sellers, by money makers. Why? Because it's worldly minded men that brought religion into the church because you can control religion, you cannot control God. That's why. I have to be serious about this. Coming into a place, let's friends, if you come into this place, you need to hear the worship of God. You need to hear the preaching of Jesus Christ because He's the only one that will convict you of your sin. So yes, if you do invite the homosexual, then I need to preach to him the gospel. Not try to get into his pocket to get his wallet out. If you do bring in the Muslim, I need to preach to him the gospel. Not try to tell him not to switch slopes, uh, uh, you know, cutthroats. This is the problem that we find. You see, it's so all over the world right now. I listen to sermons and I've listened to a specific man now for six months. And message after message after message, you don't even hear the word Jesus Christ. And that is the danger of becoming a religion. And that is the danger of becoming a tradition. Because you bring law, listen to me very carefully, you bring law into a church through tradition. I'm not asking you this, I saw this and I'm telling you this. So Jesus saw this happening. No wonder, in verse 15, He made a whip out of courts. And listen, He didn't hit people. He didn't hit the people with that. He made the whip to drive these animals out. To get them out. Look, let me just show you something. It just came to mind. Let's go with me to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. I want to show you these worldly-minded people sitting in the courtyards. And it's your and my task to expose them, Lord. And, and ask the Spirit of God to help us. Matthew 13. Worldly-minded men. We find here in Matthew 13 the parables, the seven parables. you remember that? Go with me to verse 31. He says another parable he puts forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Oh, and I've heard so many sermons preach about this and say, oh, you see, that's the faith. 
faith is like a mustard seed and it grows and grows and grows and grows bigger. Well, I, I want to tell you that's not correct, biblically correct. I'll show you the correct biblical ap- application of this passage. He says there, The kingdom is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in a field, which indeed is the least of all seeds, but, you see that word there? That's a sharp contrast. When it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree. You see that? So that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Matthew 13 verse 31. I'm telling you now, dear friends, it was never meant for a mustard seed to become a tree. It becomes a bush. It is a herb. A herb gives taste. A herb is never meant to become a tree. It gives food. That is what mustard do, isn't it? If you take a mustard seed, you put it in to give taste to the food. That is what the church was supposed to be. To give taste. You see, I come back. It is the taste. When we look at our outer court here, you see that is the mustard seed. It was supposed to grow and then give taste to these people to come to our Lord. But here the problem is it became a tree. And when it became a tree, it's got branches. And what came and sit in the branches? Birds. When you read through all of those seven parables there, you will see that birds represent evil. This means, in that parable, it shows you that there are worldly-minded people, men sitting in the church, trying to exercise authority. If you go back to Genesis, you will see that he made the herbs and then he made the trees. There is a boundary there. Herbs is never supposed to cross the boundary. Look, the church is never supposed to get into politics. No, no, the church is never supposed to to solve the poverty in the world. Listen to me. The church's task is to preach the gospel and to get healing for the soul. So here we find this now. Jesus makes this whip of cords and he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep, the oxen, and poured the changes of the money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away! You see the exclamation mark after that? He didn't come over to me and say, Excuse me guys, you know what, it is not the right place for you. Can you just move your tables a few meters around? Jesus Christ is not politically correct. He says, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. I want to say the same thing to the church today. Take these things out of the church. Let's get back to the pulpit and preach his word. Oh, they say we can't attract the young people anymore because they don't want to listen to the preaching of the word. Well, I don't believe that. Bring the young people here and I'll preach to them the word and they'll stay. And and more than that, I don't want them to stay and sit in the seats. They will be saved by the blood of the Lamb. And I'll tell you what, they will carry this light into the world. I've seen this. Take these things out. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. It's never meant to be that. You know what? I see some places, churches, they've got these temples they built, they've got a high mortgage, and they want your money to pay for that. And then on top of that, they built coffee shops in the front, so you enter into the church through a coffee shop. Lattes are $5, but if you remember, church, remember you get it for four fifty.
I won't even touch the donuts and the muffins, okay? That's full price. We need to make money. We need to pay this thing. No, no, no. Take these things out, he says. Take them out. In another gospel, he says, my father's house is a house of prayer. Prayer. The reason the church is in the state it is today is because there ain't any prayer going on anymore. There is not going on anymore. Take it out. Now, I want to apply this to you personally and to me personally. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. He says, do you not know that you are the temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? You say, oh yeah, preach it! Those people, think about them, take it out. Yes, Jesus chased them out. But the finger turns back on you and me now in this century. Because Paul writes down here, he says that the Spirit of God dwells in us and we are God's temple. If anyone destroy God's temple, then God will destroy him, for the God's temple is holy, and you are the temple. I want to ask you this morning, with the best smile I can get out right now, have you become a house of merchandise? How can that happen? What is operating in your life? What is occupying you the most? What is coming to your inner court here? What is your thoughts? What are you putting to your thoughts? What is occupying your time? You see, it's easy for us to point finger, and I don't want to do that. I want to say, Lord, the Bible says the word is like a sword. It cuts between bone and marrow, spirit and soul. Help us, Lord. Verse 17 says, Then his disciples remember that it's written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show us since you do these things? Now let me give you the application here, uh, or, or, or put it in context. You see, when he appeared and do that, they thought, Whoa, the Messiah will come and do that. And they want to see a sign now. Who gave you the authority to come and do this? In other words, show us a sign. Why are you doing this? Have you noticed they didn't restrain him? And you know what makes this the biggest miracle, uh, a bigger miracle? Is the fact that the Roman guards, because they were under, Roman, uh, under Rome, the Roman guards were patrolling these feasts. There were thousands of people coming to these feasts. And the Romans were afraid that that could be a boiling point at one stage where they could rebel. They've got everybody together. If they get somebody there who's a rebel and who could get all these people hyped up, they can take on the, Roman, the Romans. So the Romans had a guard there and any small thing like this happened, they'll go in and arrest you. So here's Jesus. He's got a whip and he, he slashes all these animals out. And there's this commotion going on and the Roman guards didn't even come in and, and, and do anything. You see, the thing is, what sign do you do? But I want to suggest to you as we finish today that they missed the biggest sign of all, which if they have studied, and they did, studied the prophecies of the Old Testament, they would have known this is a fulfillment of a prophecy in Malachi. Let's have a look. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. He says, Behold, I sent my messenger. Remember, this is the last prophecy book in the Old Testament. Between that book and the New Testament, there's 400 years. I've, I've, I've explained that a few weeks ago. Of no prophet. Then John the Baptist appeared on the scene and he looks like a prophet. 
They send people down to him and they ask him, who are you? You remember that message? If you've missed that, it's a couple of weeks ago. It's on, on the website. You can go and listen. I'm not going to preach it over right now, okay? I'll trust on you. And then when they found out he's not Elijah, he's not the prophet, he's not Christ, now they find a man walking in and he whipped, whipped, whipped all of these animals out and he say these words, he says, take this out. And this is the words that caught their attention. He says, do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Oh, wait a minute. This man now claims that God is his father. We saw this in John chapter 1, that one of the titles he had for himself was Son of God. You remember that? Son of Man. He's only doing that. And they were so blinded, like many people are today. And I want to tell you why. Because they do not study the Bible. These men ought to know. Because in Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 he says, Behold, I sent my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. That was John the Baptist. And the Lord, whom you seek. You see, they ask him the question, what sign do you show? Because they were seeking the Lord. They just wanted to make sure it's him. But they should have known it's him. He says, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. What happened? Jesus suddenly came to the temple. Now, I'm not suggesting it's the first time that he came because he did go to the temple as he grew up as a Jewish boy. But this is the first time that he came as the Lord. Do you get this? It's the first time that anybody walked in there and says, do not make my father's house. He claimed the temple as his father's house. In other words, he must be the son of God. This is why this prophecy, and they missed it. And so many people read the Bible today and you miss it. But praise to God, we've got the Holy Spirit. He says, He will come suddenly into His temple. Now He's not only Jesus, the son of a carpenter of Nazareth. No, no, no. No, He is the Son of God. He is the Lord. And now suddenly He comes in. And the temple has gone all this way. Because remember, the previous year when Jesus came there and He wasn't in His ministry... The selling went on. It is not as if it's the first year that the animals were sold there. But now he comes in his ministry and he walks in suddenly. Hold on to that. Because there comes an application for you and me. And the messenger of the covenant of whom you delight, behold, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi. Who was in charge of the temple? The Levites. Who was supposed to be guarding against tradition and religion to come into the temple? The Levites. Listen, I take this very seriously standing here as an elder, as a pastor, and preaching and presiding over his word in this church. I take it serious. Why? Because it is our work to look out and not to let religion come in. These men, these Levites were supposed to stand between man and God and were supposed not to let these things happen, but they let it happen. And guess what? All of a sudden Jesus appears and what's he going to do? He's going to refine and purify. What did he start to do? He chased them out. He says, take these things out of here. Take them out. That's the application of this passage. You will understand this differently from today, I promise you. 
and he will purify the sons of Levi, and he did, and refine them like gold and silver. Do you know the process of gold and silver refinement, what happens there? It gets heat up really, 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 really warm. And the dross comes to the top. The impurities comes to the top. That's what happens with silver and gold. And they scoop it off. So that that stuff which is at the bottom is the pure things. Listen, when things heat up in your life, ask God, Lord, is it you purifying me? Let him scoop off the impurities from the top. They missed the sign in their midst. They asked him, are you the sign? Show us a sign. Come on. Call anything to happen. Moses did that. Moses did a lot of signs. You show us a sign now. You see, friends, he is still sitting as a refiner and a purifier of silver. And he's still coming suddenly to your temple. Remember what Paul said? Don't you know that you are the temple of God? Guess what? He suddenly comes to you and to me. And he refines us and he purifies us. My Look, I understand when I got saved, He saved my soul and I'm going to heaven, but He's still busy and He's still in the process of purifying me. He's still refining me. And the proof of this is in Revelation chapter 1 verse 12. This is in the midst between us and them. He says, then I turned, this is John on the Isle of Pasmos, and he says, I see the voice that was speaking to me and turning I saw seven golden lampstands representing the church. And in the midst of the Lamb stands one like a son of man. You see that? The son of man, that link between heaven and earth. He didn't say the son of God. He didn't say, he said the son of man. I saw him clothed with a rope and with golden sass around his chest. And you know what the son of man did? He went to these churches and he suddenly visited them. And what did he find? He found a loveless church. Is he still going to find love in this church? He found a corrupt church. He found a compromising church. He found a lukewarm church and he found a dead church when he suddenly visited them. Now let's finish off. He says in verse 19, Then Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple in three days I will rise it up again. And they didn't get it. What? Are you crazy? Honestly? I mean, we, we, we can think of ourselves in that. I, I just think myself, you know, when if, look, we, we often think that if we would have lived in that time, we would have been Jesus Christ's biggest supporter. You don't know. It's different circumstances. I'm just following in the crowd now and I'm standing there and I'm listening and he says this to them. He says, destroy this temple. Looking around this magnificent temple that they've built, I showed you the picture. And in three days, I will build it. Honestly, I can think that somebody in the crowd must have had a laugh. What? Oh, no way. How could you do that? That is the best thing I've heard this week so far. Do you know how long it took to build this? Come on, be honest. You see, but they didn't get it. Oh, it's so easy for us to sit here today and go, oh, those dumb people, how couldn't they get it? We've got the New Testament, we've got the Bible, friend. It makes it easier for us. <laughs> and I'll prove it to you right now. Then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will rise it up in three days. Oh, come on. 
but he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, now let's look, look at this. When he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said to this to them. And they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. That is critical for me. You want to know why? Because the Lord reveals it to us as we go on. I've been studying this Bible now for many years. The more I read it, the more I realize I need to read more. <laughs> but you know what? I understand things way better now than 20 years ago. Or than 10 years ago. Or than 5 years ago. Why? Because he opens it up at the right time. Sometimes I even preach, and while I preach, I go, wow, that's something I, I had a question mark in my Bible years ago. Now all of a sudden the answer comes out. You see, this is how he works, friends. Look at Luke 4, 24, 44. Then he said to them, These are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. You know what is a good prayer for you to do is to pray for God to open up your mind to understand the Scriptures. So I give to you today. Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. I want to finish with one question. How do you fix a religious, traditionalist church? How do you fix that? How do you fix what has been going on in this temple? The answer is right in front of us. You bring Jesus in. You bring Jesus in. You see... Tradition, what's going on? Religion, what's going on? They were selling and they were going on. And then what happened? Suddenly, the word says suddenly in Malachi, the Lord visited the temple. Jesus appeared on the scene and what happens? Tradition must go. Religion must go. This is why I say, let us continue preaching Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Let us continue preaching this book. Some say it's dusty, old, moldy pages. I say no, it's a living organization. It's living, it's living. The Bible says, in fact, I quote that verse in, in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. It says, the word is living. And don't be like this man that I've listened to for six months now. And I don't even hear anything about Jesus. You know where that's heading? That's heading to tradition and religion. Preach Jesus Christ. Bring Him into your life. If you feel at any stage, say, Lord, have I become a religionist? Bring Jesus in. He's the answer. Let's pray.